When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So I always knew I was going to do an episode on dating. And in the lead up, I was fully anticipating that I would have to admit that I haven't been on a date since becoming single again. And it was to the point where my psychologist was like, can you try and go on a date before our next appointment? (laughs) Well, I can report that a month before the launch of Figuring Out 30, I did go on a date and it was really good. So it led to a few more and it has turned into a relationship. (laughs) Yay! But just because I'm now in a relationship, it doesn't mean I'm not going to acknowledge the last year of being single or explore the ways in which we view single women, particularly in their 30s. In the first episode, I was talking about this concept of a timeline, yeah? When when we're single, we're kind of made to feel like we have to get straight back out there and find what's next. But why? Why do we have to do that? Why can't we treat being single as its own moment of significance? At the start, I hated being single. I did struggle with it, but I look back on everything that has happened to me and the growth during that period, how it's made me a better person, and I've also experienced things that I would have never experienced if I was still in my last relationship. I also want to highlight the importance of embracing single, and to help me do this is the author of Single Pringle, Stacey June. Self-worth is a really integral, not if not the most important piece of a person going through single life and navigating the work that that brings for them to feel content with themselves. You're going to hear from Stacey soon, but first, a moment of reflection with one of my best friends and host of The Hookup on Triple J, Dee Salmon. Hello. <laughs> Let's talk dating. <laughs> My favorite thing to do ever. I literally get paid for it. <laughs> you get paid to talk about dating. I do not. But we're going to talk about it now because you were like my rock. <laughs> Last year, you know, I was coming out of a relationship, ready to, yeah, well, kind of prepare myself to get into the world of singleness again. Do you remember how it was? Seeing you go back into the dating world? Yeah. Oh my God, I was so excited. But that's just me. I I get so excited when people, like, obviously, it's really sad when someone goes through a breakup. But because I'm like perpetually single, (laughs) I'm that person that when I have a new friend in the single world, I'm like, like, yay. "Yay!" I'm like, welcome. I'll show you the robes. Here's the shit show of dating apps. Um, No, I do remember that I had. You know, I just moved to Melbourne, so I met you as a committed, full relationship girl. I remember having those conversations with you. And then when, you know, the breakup did happen and it was such a shock, I remember (laughs) just like, you know, you were just like, I don't even know what dating apps are. I know. Do you know what I mean? Like, I was so overwhelmed because... (laughs) 
<laughs> the last time I was single, Tinder was the only one really floating around. Of course, Grinder for the gays, pioneers as always. It was like the first location-based app of dating app of sorts. But yeah, it was really overwhelming. And I do remember asking you a lot, being like, "What's the difference between what's Bumble, what's Hinge, what one should I be on? Do people even go on Tinder anymore? Like, what?" You have to pay for these things now. Like last time I checked, it was all free. (laughs) I remember talking to you about the roses and we were like, wait, you have to pay to give out a rose? What a rip off. We were like, do we give out roses? Like, absolutely not. There's so much to navigate. And yeah, I had so much fun navigating with, like going through that with you. But I remember just, you were just like, what is happening (laughs) here? What the fuck do I do here? (laughs) And also just like... I remember you just being so scared. You were like, what do I say? What do I reply to this person? And you were just so scared to even like go on initial first dates. And it was too overwhelming for me. And it took me a few months to even be ready to go on and create a profile. But how, I guess, how have you observed the way in which dating apps have shaped the dating landscape? Dating apps have had the most members I've ever had, ever. Mm. Everyone just jumped on them because there was the, it was the only way to like form a connection with someone. It was only a way to date. It was the only way to communicate uh, when we have been like in and out of lockdowns. But, you know, I feel like my experience and your experience and so many people's experiences have just been like dating app fatigue. Mm. Like people are just, I'm not hearing many people form actual genuine connections and relationships. Is that a rare thing for these apps? Like, I don't even know, like, what would the friggin' success rate be? Because, you know, like, Hinge is, like, it's designed 1%. to be deleted. Really? Okay, we might have to look this up, but I remember saying <laughs> it. I remember saying it on the hookup one time. I'm pretty sure it's 1% for, like, a re- like a committed relationship to come from two people meeting from a dating app, which is wild when you think about Hinge saying, we're designed to be deleted, we're all here for you to, like, form a connection. I have never had a longer relationship with someone off a dating app and I've been single for like seven years uh, for longer than like three weeks. Wow. Mm. You were back on the dating apps the same time that I was getting ready to go on. So we really were kind of riding that wave together. What frustrated you the most about being back on the apps? Oh, I think it was like dating people and then their intentions seemed to be that they were there to date. Mm. And then getting ghosted or them turning around in a couple of dates time and just being like, oh, God, no, no, I'm not looking for a relationship. And it's just one of those things like you don't want to ask someone that straight up. But I just find that like so many people are dating and giving off the impression that maybe they're looking so for something you're serious. That, that vibe that they are yeah. looking for it. And then just kind of getting ghosted or just fizzling out and not really going anywhere. But I just feel like that kind of feeds into this mentality of dating apps that everyone's just disposable disposable yeah yeah what did you feel um uh i mean i felt really insecure being on them i think what made me feel the most insecure was seeing my age next to my name and i hated that i felt that way but i hated seeing my profile being like bridget 30 because it's just not what i had envisioned but i when i say that I get angry because I don't want people to feel – people shouldn't feel like shit Mm. for being on these apps at the age of 30. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just that conditioning, again, of what we're made to feel, where we should be by 30, and apparently it shouldn't be on a dating app. I guess all these frustrations that we have with the apps is what has led a lot of people to opening up their options. The pandemic has really made people sit 
within themselves, spend time with themselves and maybe question their sexuality a bit. And and mm. we know that TikTok's played a huge part in this, but I've pretty much seen like you, me, all my, my all my girlfriends pretty much open up their dating apps to like everyone. Yeah. Um, and just kind of go through that process of being like, I think I'm pan or I think I'm bi and just like having chats and going on dates with, you know, people of all genders. So I feel like we all went through that process together and it was really interesting because, yeah, we were like, we were like sending each other like roses and stuff. The and free roses. The free, yeah. <laughs> How did you feel? I feel like you went through, you know, such a journey with that as well. Yeah, I was, I think I was frustrated with, so it felt like in Melbourne, it felt like such a small circle of the same people on these apps. And I was like, how do you meet someone new? Because physically it wasn't an option. I mean, when we would go out for drinks in the windows of freedom that we had between the lockdowns last year, we were obviously, you know, looking, but it probably didn't help that we were with um, Brendan and Cam. (laughs) Like we looked like gay best friends. (laughs) Yeah, we looked like we're on double dates. So that probably didn't help our case. But yeah, I just was like, fuck it. Like, Let's just have a little look. I feel like women put in so much more effort. And I was like, I just want to look and see what are the girls like on the apps. And then I was looking through, I'm like, they're beautiful. They're putting in considered answers. They have beautifully curated photos. Like everyone's a catch. What is going on? And then I just decided to keep it. Like, I totally had conversations with girlies. I didn't go on a date, but I thought it was just really good personal development. But I don't know in terms of labeling, like, what I would say as a result of that I don't know if I'm attracted to someone I'm attracted to someone I think you're just curious and that's also a completely valid sexuality and doesn't need to be labeled like you're allowed to be curious I also don't understand how people like why aren't like why aren't we all pan that's Mm. what my logic is like it just intrigues me you know it doesn't matter if you're a girl if you're non-binary if you're a guy whatever like if I find you attractive, I find you attractive. Like, it's just that simple for me. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I, but I've just got friends who are like, no, nah, I fucking love a dick. And I'm like, no, that's, I'm like, that's so fine, babes. Like, I, I also understand that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I've got friends that are like, why? I wish I didn't. But I'm yeah. like, yeah. That is so funny. But I yeah, I mean, look, not, not all men are bad. Not all apps are bad. And Raya was great for me. So we need to talk about that. Because, like I said before, I saw you going through your breakup and... I wasn't a train wreck, right? I have not seen a person deal with a breakup better than you. Thank you. And I'm not paying D to say that. No. <laughs> I I remember just trying to be there every day for you because I was like, I don't understand how you're doing this. Like, <laughs> you've spoken about this before, but you literally went through the most out-of-nowhere breakup <laughs> at, like, 10 p.m. at night after you just finished work. <laughs> like, it was so fucked. And then you... We're turning 30 and then I'm pretty sure you had like fucking press stuff back to back to back to back nonstop for your book release, which is just such a huge momentous thing. And then you also moved house. I literally don't know anyone as strong as you, (laughs) honestly. (laughs) That's why I'm so obsessed with you. (laughs) Okay, but also, Uh, so I saw you go through that, but then... I've seen you go on the like most incredible journey of just like self-development, journey. dating, journey, The Bachelor, um, you know, <laughs> just like finding yourself coming full circle. Anyway, Raya, you started dating this boy and we're red flag detectives. Oh, yeah. FBI level. Yeah. And I remember he like came into your life and we were like, where are the red flags? Searching left, right and center. 
And we couldn't find a single one. Like, we were trying. <laughs> Dee and Pip even interrogated him about his bedroom and the bed frame and what's on his bedside table. <laughs> like, determined to find something. something. <laughs> okay, so tell us a little bit about that. What was that experience um, like for you? Unexpected, I guess. And I think that's probably the beauty of it. And really easy and fast. You know, in the space of five weeks it turned into a relationship. And that was really foreign for me because my last relationship, it literally took five months, you know, of hanging out. So to go from five months to five weeks and to have no idea how to navigate it or what the right or wrong way to go about it was, like I was kind of looking for um, a textbook approach, but you can't do that. It's just what feels right for you, like as every relationship is different. Um, So yeah, I don't know, like it just happened. (laughs) How are you feeling about it? It's really good. Like, I'm really happy and it just feels easy and I think that's the most important thing. It's only when I stop to to think and then overthink because I'm a classic overthinker and that's when – I mean, even when it moved from seeing each other to, like, I guess the official label of boyfriend and girlfriend and I was talking to to you about it and some other friends and almost, like, looking for a reason for it not to happen because that's just my classic self-sabotage. But, you know, if everything's going good and you both – and we both saw that as the next thing, then why not have that just happen? Like, why wait until the eight-week mark or whatever when if you're ready to do it now, why wouldn't you just do it? So, yeah, I don't know. It's nice. (laughs) I remember you were like, I don't understand. Why is – like, something must be wrong. Like, what's going on here? Like, why is this just happening so smoothly? Um, And I think that, like you said, it's just that classic self-sabotage because that's what we're used to, Mm. but also we're used to like getting ghosted or having someone kind of fuck us around and when it is just so easy and I just feel like, yeah, we kind of have that conversation. You're going to say I love you before I say I love you. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm seriously in the group chat just being like obsessed. No, there's just like a green flag school. Anyway, this is what a relationship, so I hear, is supposed to feel like. Like I, I was like, Bridget, just go with it because, you know, you never know what it could lead to, you know? I think that's the thing, though, about not knowing what it could lead to and thinking of what it could lead to. It's really interesting being in a new relationship at the age of 31 now and not predetermining things, I think, because in the last relationship towards the end of it, I really had set up that timeline because I felt like that's what I should do. So now it's just working on... Do you feel like you unlearnt some of the things that you might have had in your previous relationship in regards to those timelines and what you, maybe the dynamic and what you were like, I don't know, hoping to come out of that relationship in this new one now? Yeah. And I think probably the time in which I spent being single, like it was that my number one priority was to, it sounds so cheesy, but to heal and to debrief, like I mentioned this in the first episode and take the time to unpack and see a psychologist and figure out what I learned, what I wanted to change and change about myself and what I would want to take into the next chapter of life, whether or not that involves a relationship. And even now we're still working on things, we call it like behind the scenes work, you know. So whilst everything's going great, you can always continue to learn and work on yourself. And so that's kind of what I'm doing. It's interesting, I guess, for my psych to see how different our sessions were last year and what they're like now, but it's all to get a better understanding of how I think, why I think, what my attachment style is, why is it like that? How can I use that to the best of my ability and stuff? PD, we love PD. I know this is really cliched, but do you think that that whole saying around once you become really happy within yourself and content being a single person, that that's kind of when someone comes along? Do you feel like before you met your boyfriend, 
that you were in that place within yourself? Mm, great question, Dee. I didn't even prompt you for this. This is because you're a brilliant broadcaster yourself. This is the perfect segue into what you're going to hear next in conversation with Stacey June, who is the author of Single Pringle. A big emphasis of this chat is the whole concept of self-worth and having the relationship with yourself first. It all, Everything comes down to self-worth and how you view yourself. Yeah. So that is what we're going to hear next. Stacey June, um, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to chat to you. I just want to let you know I've got like four pages of notes from reading your book, Single Pringle. We've got a lot to get through. (laughs) Notes for me or notes for yourself? (laughs) Um, Honestly, both. Like, I feel like I could write a book on notes for myself based on your book. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's amazing, Bridge. That's so good to hear. (laughs) It's been on my radar for a while, Single Pringle. I don't know who sent it to me, but a couple of weeks after my five-year relationship ended, it was sitting on my desk at work. And I'm not going to lie, I felt personally attacked. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like <laughs> it was really surprising to have it there. And it kind of, you know, it took me some strength to to read mm. it because I knew it would be confronting in some ways. But there was a quote, which I think would be a really good thing to start this chat with, uh, a quote that you had in the book about kind of summed up my reasoning for that feeling and and you wrote that relationships are among the the first goals that we're taught to strive for so being on my own felt like failure what was your story in becoming single you know in in that context and I guess approaching the age of or being in your 30s what was going on for you and the context of that line it's so interesting because when I speak about the book uh on particularly on my Instagram or, you know, wherever I was plugging it at the time, I would talk about how uh, how many great lessons and kind of stories were in the book that would relate to people that weren't just single. And it was funny. It was like I would watch even people at the launch or uh, even family and friends get a bit like there'd be some people would be sheepish about holding it when and they were in relationships. So that just gives you a gauge of how the shame of being on your own is conditioned and set in us so powerfully that somebody they love has written a book that says single on the front of it and they're almost apprehensive because some book is going to magically make them break up out of their (laughs) happy relationships and make them in what is a lot of parts of the world deemed as the most horrific thing to be and that is single and on top of that, that is a single woman because that's just that's just too much. So, you know, even that just gives you some kind of context of the world we're walking around in. You know, as single Pringles, we all start to get a bit more comfortable with that. Even if we're uncomfortable, you have to get comfortable because you're not going to wake up every day dreading your life because of a relationship status like that. Actually, for many of us that are intelligent human that doesn't make any sense that doesn't mean that the feelings aren't there so I guess that example gives you a bit of an idea of what we're working with in terms of the type of responses we have from family members the types of things we see across our movies and entertainment 
the types of representation we have about the kinds of relationships that are celebrated. There is so much here that is really misrepresented on so many levels, but at the but my book really does base on the single woman's experience or the person that identifies um, as a single woman. And so I was exactly like you, but less kind of um, annoyed by it, more frightened. Mm. I found the whole concept very scary. I saw the fear in my dad when my mum and dad broke up, even though it would be argued he was the one that moved that marriage to the place that it was. It was interesting to watch him really squirm. He was that really um, solid role model in my life. He was the more, I suppose, uh, you know, outwardly, um kind of strong leader force in our in our family dynamic and when mum and dad broke up I, I saw such a different vulnerability in him which on one token is really powerful but then on the other was quite a scary thing for me to see some person that I'd seen as so strong being so weak at the idea of being on their own the irony of this though is my mum kind of stepped into her power, but it turned into, um, I suppose, a very solo um, avenue for her. She kind of stayed very single, whereas my dad continued to try and find relationships. So there's just some really interesting things that I witnessed as a young girl quite early on around what it meant to be single. And I write about this in the book. There was, all, there was a fear around being single, but then there was also this... Um, this I'm only single and there's no room for me to explore. So I had some very big extremes around what being single was. Single forever and do everything to avoid being single. Yeah. They're the two kind of stories I was told. Then add on all of the um, the social conditioning and the layers that we have around uh, women being single and, and further to that people being single. Yeah, and I feel like we can't really, you know, start to embrace being single without understanding the views and what it does mean to be single because it is different for everyone. But like what you said, um, I can just imagine, yeah, people like holding the book because it's, you know, it, it is the bold title on the front that says single Pringle and people are quite intimidated by the S word, which is quite it's quite funny, but when you talk about, you know, the social expectations and um, that historical conditioning and especially the messaging in modern feminism, which would be something that I think we probably have both struggled with. And, you know, just even reading the introduction of this book, right, like I was literally the second page in and I was really resonating with your path in that newfound single status. You were working in radio, you were immersing yourself in work, but struggling with that idea of the single woman who can have it all and the conflicting nature of that and the anxiety that it brings where it's like, yeah, you're killing it, but you still feel like there is this external looming presence of you know, require you requiring to like feel something more when you didn't necessarily need that, if that makes sense. Like how was that anxiety for you? Yeah, I think that it often had a face. So once you found comfort in it, often the comfort was from the representations we were shown. So you're looking for things, okay, so if I'm going to be confident and I'm going to be proud of my life, I'll also, you know, monkey see, monkey do. Like it's not so much that I was um, 
malleable and was kind of just copying, but you do start to consume ideas of if you're feeling really sad and really lonely and really vulnerable, you're going to be looking for examples to cling on to, to gauge some strength, to maybe say, okay, well, this is the way that we do it. Because if there's nowhere in your life that has done it successfully, then you're going to be trying to find examples. Now, one of the big examples was Sex in the City for me. Mm. And so there was this really lovely message behind it. But there was, in some ways, like everything, everything's got pros and cons, there was this damaging idea that it was kind of all fabulous. Whilst they did have really vulnerable moments through the storylines, the majority of it was that they were all together, they would be comfortable with that no matter what, and I wasn't. I wanted a family. So how do you live in the comfort of being single knowing that you do want a more traditional or at least a version of that picture that when you're finally finding comfort in being single is telling you that's not necessary? So there was no real in-between. I was having a story told to me that being single was fabulous and being a feminist and a successful woman was amazing, but there wasn't really any characters or people in front of me saying, but that amazing life also involves being a mother. And that Because even Miranda fell pregnant by mistake mm. and Charlotte was that real cliche tradition, which I didn't relate to either. You needed like so an in-between. <laughs> but we all need in-betweens yeah. and that is often the story's not told. The message is in-between, which is why I wrote the book, because you can simultaneously yearn for something and be proud and happy of where you're at at the time as well. It does. We don't need to find this picture of perfection and 100% contentment and happiness at all times. Being able to understand that timing is a very big part of our lives and timing is going to really reward you when you reward it, when you respect it, when you understand it's a part of the process. So I think once we understand that, it's kind of impossible for us to have everything in the timing that we want. Therefore, we're not always going to be comfortable with every element of our life. That doesn't mean you hate your single life and that doesn't mean you hate, you know, the particular job you're in, even if you want a promotion at some point. You know, it's funny to use that analogy because if you're happy in your role but you're yearning or potentially think in five years' time you'd like to be someone else, people don't assume you're depressed. People just assume you have ambition. So why is it when you're a single person you can't be comfortable and content in your single life not well knowing that you still may want a, a, a relationship or a family at some point in the future? It's like it's just we're kind of really thrown these extreme ideals when it comes to, yeah, single single living, solo living, single life. Yeah, I want to touch on, I guess, that kind of difference between these two notions of timing and timelines, because I know that you really make an emphasis on, you know, throwing out the timeline um, in terms of our expectations. But what you're saying here, I guess, with having those two extremes and uh, not necessarily having a middle ground, that kind of lends into why women end up to having this immense fear of, of being alone. And in the book, you refer to this, it's quite a sobering study to kind of echo that sentiment with Everyday Health um, doing a study in the States. They found that one third of women are more afraid of loneliness than of a cancer diagnosis. Like, what the fuck? It is sobering and it is, but it's not surprising. Yeah. So it, it's like, it's devastating, but in my heart, I knew it was so spot on. Not only did I understand it from times where I felt the depths of loneliness and the depths of 
shame and the depths of feeling like I didn't fit in to my social life or to my world in the same way people did in relationships. Mm. So I understood what that must feel like for many from coming from that place. But on top of that, I think with cancer, some people, and this is going to be a bit provocative and this is not my view, but I think some people think, well, I could take a pill for that or I could find some ways of I could find some ways of getting a cure, which is not the case for everything. But in some ways, it's the lack of control of being single that is often the most fearful part, that you don't know if you'll meet someone in time to have children if that's what you want. You don't know if someone will love you back. These are big questions that you you really start to ask yourself when you're on your own that in a medical sense, if you were to fall physically sick, cancer is just the, the example that was used in that research. But if you were to medically fall sick from something, let's just use for argument's sake, that was curable, you would go and do the medication and it, you would take the medication and ideally it would be over. So you kind of go, that's, it's, it's effed up. But if you really break down the themes of what pain is and what we're scared of, It makes sense because you don't have those answers and you can't, someone else can't give them to you. You have to find them within yourself. There's no doctor that can tell you you're worthy of love. Mm. No doctor that can give you the confidence in yourself to find the ways to learn that. You know, there's a lot of tools and a lot of practices that you need to get involved in that no one can really tell you what they are, what's going to work for you, how to do them. And they also can't just give you a prescription and you take it. So in some ways it's messed up. And then in other ways, it kind of makes sense if you, you really pull it out like that. Yeah, it's a valid point in what you said about the, that loss of control with being single. And I guess a way of taking control is what you really echo in embracing single. And embracing single is the real message that I want people to get from this conversation. And you kind of touch on how it starts with getting to know yourself, which can be a pretty confronting thing to do. What were some of the ways that you got to know yourself? Like, how did you go about that when you were doing this, you know, from a personal standpoint? I think straight up, I want to say that there, it's all, it's going to look differently for everybody. Like as soon as you start saying the word yoga or meditation, it starts to maybe there's some, um, there's, I guess, some word associations that happen in our body. We start to maybe tense up if that's not something that works for you. I'm saying these examples or I will go in to say some of these examples because they worked for me. I tried a lot of different things. What I found was talk therapy was helpful, uh, but then after a while there was only so much I could dissect the relationships I'd seen before me and I found that a lot of the healing I had to do was my physical energy. Like It wasn't just about the talk therapy and the, the mapping of your goals and the mapping of your mind and starting to look at the way your thoughts work and your brain works. It was also energetics, like how can I actually stretch my body out, move my body in a positive way to also pick up those endorphins and feel good about myself, not from a physical looking standpoint, but that may be one of your pieces that you want to include. How can I do that from a movement perspective that isn't just about fitness, that's also actually about making my whole health and my mental health be very linked to my physical and I know that sounds really obvious because I'm sure many of you are going to the gym and then maybe speaking to a therapist but how do they integrate how do you listen to your physical body 
and take it as signs that your emotions are off. How do you listen to your emotions and see that maybe your body needs some love, not in a way that you're punching a, a boxing, like a boxing pad so you can look better. Mm-hmm. Eventually you start to get a bit of a rhythm as to what are the key factors and how do they integrate, not just focusing on one thing and then expecting that to kind of give you this whole range of knowledge about yourself. It, it does take you've got to kind of be a little bit of a project manager of your own life and really try different things and, and see where you land and start to kind of map it and, and put together a bit of a schedule and a plan and, and a job description and a, a bit of a, um, like an organized approach, just like you would with what you're doing with your groceries or perhaps with your job. You've got to do that with your personal life too. If you are looking to explore parts of yourself, not just going to be the, the therapist situation that's going to cut it if you're looking to go deeper with these hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How about the importance of, I guess, self-worth that ties into all of this? Because I think that's what a lot of people struggle with in that kind of single phase and they, they can't stand the thought of being alone because they don't value themselves and value their own company. What's your stance on self-worth and what that, the role it plays? I think self-worth is the absolute core of so many. I think it's the core of our behaviour. Mm. So I think that the way we're acting, you know when you might go out and get drunk for the third week in a row, maybe you've slept with someone that you wish you hadn't, and you start asking yourself a bit of a question of, I don't feel good after that, so why do I keep doing it? Mm-hmm. Even if you kind of tell yourself, well, it's fun at the time, in your heart you kind of wake up and are like, surely there's got to be another way for me to have that fun without me feeling like this today. And I think when we start to see behaviour that's feeling disconnected with who we are or what we do, it stems back to self-worth. I think a lot of the the reasons our behavior is a little askew or a bit off in terms of the way that we identify will often be a self-worth conversation or a question where is my self-worth in this and what what kind of level is it at now the level of self-worth is going to really um influence the type of work you do maybe you had a wonderful uh you know relationship that was put before you in your parents and you need to kind of just continue to fill this self-worth cup little bit by little bit and you've got absolutely no problem not dating every single week and not sleeping with random guys if that's not for you, girls, people, whatever your preferences are. That may, This is just an example because I think when we do go into single life, we think that the way to meet someone is to really kind of over-explore. Uh, yeah, and yeah. I think it that's doesn't what I've need struggled to be with. that way. <laughs> yeah, me too. And I think... I think it doesn't have to be that way. So that's why I use that particular example. There's no shame if um, sex every night of the week with random people is your thing. That's not that's not totally. an issue here. It's just more that I think we go to that place first. Mm. And so my point is on that example, it's like you could have these wonderful examples in front of you, not necessarily feel like you need to do that st- pretty straight up. But then 
you're finding that every single time someone falls pregnant, you are triggered. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They come in different ways and you then feel confused. You're like, oh my God, this person, I'm so happy for them, but why do I feel all of this? It, it all kind of stems back to self-worth because then it may be a matter of you not feeling like you're worthy of that full happiness. Sometimes you're like, okay, well, I'm worthy of these types of pretty good things, but maybe I need a little bit more of my self-worth cup to believe that I can have all of it. Does that make sense? So the mm-hmm. self-worth cup's going to be different fullness levels for others for me mine was empty (laughs) pretty empty you know there wasn't a time um where I mean over the years those kinds of scenarios became way easier for me to manage because I filled my self-worth cup up by doing some of the things that we've suggested and by different types of work on myself um and so I think that yeah back to your point self-worth is a really integral, not if not the most important piece of a person going through single life and navigating the work that that brings for them to feel content with themselves. Yeah. It's so interesting even just thinking about the expectations in terms of if you're striving to be in a relationship or as you mentioned, you know, you're seeing people around you getting married or having babies and if that causes some sort of um, trigger because that's what you're, you know, aiming for and that's your expectation of yourself. But then the expectations of just being single and not knowing how to be it because so many people are doing it differently, you know, if they do want to sleep with heaps of people or if they just feel like it's not for you. So bringing this into what you were saying earlier, I guess, with the timeline, I suppose, you you made a real point to throw out this sense of having a timeline, um, especially in this single, you know, single um, phase. I don't want to say phase, but being single, you know, at any point. Yeah, the yeah. single chapter. Yeah, um, what 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 came to like? What drew you to that to you know make you think? Yep, ditch the timeline. Like, how important is it to do that? Well, I didn't think about it. It more became every. I was so obsessed with the timeline, fairly unconsciously. Yeah, that every year my breakup date came up that I broke up with my partner. I would like no like I it was like a conscious thing that I was tracking like oh it's been one year it's been two years it's been three years like it got to about the third year where I was now looking at having a single life anniversary and not in a good way Mm. and I started to think what am I doing like what the like I I am doing all of this work to feel good about my day-to-day yet I still absolutely dread this date. I still remember the date right now. Like all these years later, I can remember it. And sometimes I may it may still come up. I'm married. Like I'm in a completely different chapter, as you say, um, in terms of these parts of our lives. I again I don't look at the marriage chapter as being a forever game either. I mean that's the plan, but I I don't have those traditional notions of that either. So it's not like I still see these things as chapters. I don't see my life now as one big piece of block forever until I die that's why I wanted to really be clear on that when I say chapter because I think it's like I still see them all as chapters and I think that's what the work has allowed me to do too is to really continue to keep that viewpoint even when you hit a relationship but that's a different conversation so back to the timing 
I um yeah, I had a bit of a really rude awakening around that point, and it was a bit of a kumbaya moment because I didn't anticipate being single at three years. I didn't anticipate that time. I think the way that I would get through that uh, breakup and through the uh, discomfort of being single was that I just imagined that I would meet someone any day. And that that possibility was there, which of course it is. And which of course a lot of people do by three years. Uh, Funnily enough, many people are not single for that long, which is so wild. Like whenever I used to say I was single for four or five years, people would look at me like, whoa. It's like, that's like, if you look at the percentage of a life, five years, if you were to live 80 years, (laughs) it's a very small percentage. Mm. I don't understand why it's like such a big thing, but as we've discussed conditioning society, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So the timing for me became a little bit of a, um, it was one of those aha moments. It wasn't so much one of these things that I crafted through working or trying to figure out ways for me to get the tools to figure out how to overcome that, like many other things that I share in the book that I did very practically. Um, The irony being now that I'm a yoga meditation teacher and um, doing my master's in psychotherapy. So I was already on that road to try and give myself some tools to be able to feel comfortable with myself. Mm -hmm. Um, Having said that, this moment, it wasn't one of those. It was really personal. It was a real... It was a real moment for me to understand that I didn't have control of this game and that no matter how much work I did and no matter how much I tried to control what I couldn't control, the timing was something I could never control. And that's a promise from me to you, from me to anyone listening. It's it's a given and it can be a given and you may understand and accept that logically but your heart doesn't accept that for a long time. Your heart will fight it. Your heart will even try and distract you with the kind of the, um, if you're a sex in the city person, like the charlotteism, the, Mm -hmm. you know, the almost like almost the toxic positivity that it will override the ability to be in the truth. Sometimes The, the, and that's okay. We need to survive different ways. So being super optimistic is not a, a negative trait, but it also does mean that it can take us out of our truth and feeling and processing what we need to feel and process for our bodies and our, what I believe, our kind of dharma to move on to the next stage for the timing. So if we skip the lessons, and this was one for me, it might not be one for others, but for me, it was a lesson I had to learn about timing, about mm-hmm. universal timing and about acceptance of my lack of control. Now, if you read the book or you've ever listened to anything I've shared, control has been my big life journey. I didn't have a lot of control as a kid. I tried to gain control and I continue to try and have it in different areas of my life. It will come out and look a million different ways with a million different costumes. Even when I feel like I've nipped it in the bud, it'll come through the door in a different way and I'll be like, oh, fuck, that's another control thing. (laughs) And so for me, it was a real big um, acceptance of that fact But what it has done for me in the future has allowed me to trust timing of career opportunities. It's allowed me to trust timing, not always, it's still a challenge for me, um, on my fertility journey. It's allowed me to trust timing of uh, change and being really um, aware and accepting of that absolute inevitable. Now, if I hadn't learned that being single, 
I'm, I guarantee these types of things that I've gone through later in life would be incredibly challenging. So it was something I had to learn. It's something I feel many of us will learn it in different ways, but it is something that I think if you can try and learn about that or you're open to exploring that when you're single, it's only going to be a friend for life because it's not something that just applies to being single. It is a universal truth. It's a universal lesson that is very helpful to have because the surrender piece in life is such a really big part of uh, us living harmoniously and the acceptance of timing is where that journey begins. Yeah, man, I was nodding my head so hard when you were kind of talking about the process of, you know, being in that single chapter and taking that time and having other people look at you with that. When when you say, you know, I've been single for a few years and people are like, oh, what? that's, you know, that's a, a while. People also sometimes just don't understand that that can be a complete choice as well. And like for me, that process is important and seeing this single chapter is just like, an opportunity really but I feel people don't really understand that it can be a choice you know it's still that external judgment and sense of pittiness <laughs> I really and I really want to just point out there to your listeners that that is the piece of a self-worth like I literally am looking at your cup and seeing where it's full and self-worth now there's no shame on the different levels of that and yeah. you may I hope this doesn't happen but people may have situations that happen to them in dating that then take away some of their self-worth and things will happen when you start when you're in the arena as Brene Brown says that's where the real work starts to happen you know there's you go in and then you're like oh because you can stay not doing anything like you've done which is such an incredible choice and you may choose that many different times down this path I did I went in and out of the game a little Mm -hmm. but my point is it at where you're at at the moment that self-worth piece is is really, I don't know if you can attest to this, but it feels quite full. Like it feels like you've got, you've worked hard at that. It hasn't all felt comfortable, but these decisions for you to fill that glass were really important for you to have first. Now, when you jump into the dating world, that may change a little bit, but having that awareness of what you've needed to do to have that glass full will be a very big helpful factor when you go, ah, I'm getting out of this. I need a break. I don't need to date for a second. We don't need to stay. Once we're dating, it doesn't mean we just have to be dating all the time. You can go back to this piece and vice versa, but it will depend on that self-worth glass. So when you were talking, I didn't have that glass full. I was completely obsessed with having someone fill that for me when Mm -hmm. I left my relationship, which it sounds like you were really interested and really inspired to fill it yourself and figure out how to do that. That timing will happen differently for everyone and that glass will go up and down on this journey. But I thought just as you were saying, it was such a great example to show the differences. I think also generationally, like I think I was a bit of an older millennial too. So the examples I had in front of me were Sex and City characters, like they're in their 50s now, you know what I mean? So I do think that you might come into this game differently than I did, but the self-worth piece is really important to be aware of when it feels full, when it goes down and how you can fill it back up. 
Yeah, totally. Let's quickly just jump into the dating side of it and how dating can help you get to know yourself just as much as being single. Um, And I suppose the role of the apps too, you know, before I dived into this five-year relationship, Tinder was only just kind of kicking off and there wasn't COVID. So it was a different landscape. I was really overwhelmed with the apps, you know, looking at them last year, signing up. Um, You know, it was interesting what you mentioned before, how you can just like, you can can literally pause your hinge profile. If you want to step out, you can pause it. So that's great. Um, But from your experience and your expertise, how much of an influence, you know, with apps that they have on the dating landscape now, how do you find them? What are your observations in the role they play? I, I believe you still can make a decision. And I think, and there's many decisions to be made. The first one is how often and how you use them and when. So, I mean, this is something to even write down if you're listening and you're dating. Like, how often do I want to use it? Like, do I want to be on there on the weekends and emulate clubs? Like to only go on them when I'm kind of in that social space? Because let's face it, no one, unless you're working at the most hottest kind of agency with all these cool young people and, you know, like like I think people think that's radio industries, but no, a lot of them are dinosaur <laughs> men. So there's, yeah. it's, that's not what it is. Um, but I think if, unless you're at this kind of, you know, like ridiculous media agency that's in New York and there's all these hot people and you're allowed to all be kind of mingling and social and sleep with each other, I don't think that's the case anymore. So why are we on Tinder in the bathroom at work? We wouldn't <laughs> be meeting people without the app then. So if that's you, okay, but just be conscious about how you want to use it. If you do want to use it as a dating app, then emulate the dating experience. Mm. Emulate a time where you're relaxed, that you are interested in meeting people. You aren't always interested in meeting people at work, but now you've got the option. doesn't mean you have to do it. Yeah, so yeah. how do you want to use it? Do you want to emulate a real-life kind of experience or at the absolute least give yourself a chance to have conscious, considered connections even if they don't equate to any kind of dating what kind of life do you want to live because this fast quick mcdonald's approach to dating i guarantee you is going to be short-lived and not as fulfilling as the other option that is also okay for some time sometimes you need a filler sometimes you need to feel a bit better that's great but just be mindful of what you're jumping on and wanting to achieve in that day and the other thing is making sure that you're checking how you want to feel So if you're not feeling that way from the apps, then taking yourself off them until you feel like you can feel that way again. And you may never return. I didn't. And I think it is really important to be aware. It comes back to that self-worth piece. How do you want to feel? Who do you want to be day to day in your own life first? Then once you've got that down pat, you can start to explore apps there might be some that work better for you i think hinge is more of like a blog tinder is more of a quick fix bumble you feel like somewhere in a marketing way you've got the control even though i don't don't know i kind of felt that sometimes but it is more marketing than anything Mm. um uh, i think they all offer different things so what are you going to use to continue to make the experience enhance your life and not chip too much away at that original way you want to feel that we discussed a little earlier. So that self-worth piece where you kind of feel like you've at least glass half full. You don't have to be bloody full to the top. But once you know that, then when you explore, 
you want to keep checking in with that. Like, is that chipping away at that? Is my cup emptying by this experience? And if so, can I change the way I approach it or potentially do I need to go off and try again another time? Because let me guarantee this, I will guarantee you this, you will do the exact same thing in a year's time or six months time and you'll have a very different experience. It's not just the apps that are doing something to you. It's not because you hate Tinder or love Tinder. It's going to really be affected by who you are and where you're at. And we think that the apps are crap and they make me feel shit. Most of the time you're already there and you're not being conscious about how you're using them mm. and also taking some responsibility in your own your own place. So I think they're very useful and a lot of fun, but like everything with social media, but particularly apps, they're not social media. They're for dating and connecting romantically mostly. So that's what we're talking about. So think about the ways you would ideally like that to look for you and then see if you can do that through them and use them for your advantage. Don't just use the features the way they tell you to use them. Yeah. Use them the way you want to use them. Yeah, you really can curate your own experience. I think you mentioned it in the book, the assumption for women um, with dating, it means that we're, we are looking for a relationship, but there's there are different forms of dating and different intent and purpose. As long as it's I would say as long as, as you're still being respectful to the other person, but you say about, you know, dating to get to know yourself and to explore your, what you actually want. And- yeah. And exploit them. And I don't mean exploit people. I exploit the, the offerings, you know, so if you, they are called dating, but do you want to figure out how you can um, pose a conversation first? And maybe you're about to go on a date that someone set you up on that you care about. So can you jump on Tinder and have a conversation with somebody and say, I'm actually going on a date and I wanted to see if I could roll a few questions past you. Use them. Like, you know, use it. It's like, trust me, if people are going to use and ghost and do all those kinds of things, as long as you're honest about what you're doing, they're there to have connections. And a lot of people would probably be refreshed at the connection and conversation as opposed to the fakeness of this is all going to lead to marriage. Yeah. Oh my God, it's not. Uh, And I think the other thing is, I would say, if you have deep in your heart aspirations to meet somebody off apps, then don't let go of that. Mm. You can still be on apps and still be open to the idea of meeting someone in real life. The, The apps don't mean anything if you meet someone on them or you don't, but you don't have to lose this kind of faith in humanity and in love if that looks more traditional to you as well like you know just because they're there doesn't necessarily mean that that has to work for you too how do you feel with being on your apps in your 30s because I feel like that's a really daunting thing for people who have just turned 30 or in that stage of their life that they feel like they don't have a place on these on Mm. apps how do you feel about that it is a fucked up thing to think but it also isn't it's not not valid You know, so I guess the questions around that are why do you think that? And is it because of the people on there? Is it because society has said that you should be all sorted by now? Mm. Uh, Is it because deep down apps aren't for you? Is it because um, you get anxious? Like I used to, I'm much more of a a in-your-face person. I'm much more Mm. animated in conversation. I don't like putting still photos of myself and a fucking bio. Like I, (laughs) that just was like, that gives no, it doesn't give a clear idea of who I am. So it just made me so 
it just went against a, a representation of myself from the beginning. And I was in kind of branding and telling my story. So then to be on apps, I was like, this doesn't represent me. And that's what I do for effing living. So it may just also be that 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 particular forum doesn't feel for you. But whatever the answers to those questions are, work with the issue from that end, from what your what your problem is with it or what your feeling is about it, not, a, I guess, a kind of notion that apps have an idea of the way they should be and therefore it's put on to you. So if you are feeling uneasy about it, dig deeper as to why because it may then take you to a place where okay they aren't for me and I'm scared because I don't know how to meet anybody if it's not on apps and then the question the other question may be I have an issue with my age and I'm really scared about going into my 30s single and I was fine in my 20s but now 30s is a whole different thing why is that you know it's gonna it's actually gonna open up a whole heap of stuff it doesn't mean you stay on apps you know, it may actually mean that that isn't what you want, you know. So I think that it's really important to learn about that and continue to take the narrative, the control, and I guess the um, the emphasis back on you and not because in being single, it's such a hard time of your life because there are so many elements that you can't control. And so where you can control, do it. You know what I mean? So if you can actually own the narrative of that situation, then own the narrative, but don't make it out like it's happening to you because it's not. You don't have to be on apps if you don't want to in your 30s. That's fine, but use it as information. Stacey, this podcast is called Figuring Out 30. I'd love to know what you think has been the most valuable thing that you have figured out about this stage of life, whether it be dating related or maybe something more general. I think going back to the conversation about timing and I suppose an element of that picture we haven't covered as much that I do think is probably one of the key uh, lessons and pieces of work that brings me the most comfort but also the the most, I'm working on this word at uni, um, to be congru- congruent. So to be really honest with who I am and where I'm at and what that looks like from a real soul kind of truthful level. And I think the the key part of that is learning how to surrender. And the timing is one factor to that, but the surrender piece is really important to also start to get at one with the fact that maybe some of the social conditioning and the pictures that we've created for ourselves may not actually be the pictures that either our heart is yearning for, it may not be the picture that we will end up with, it may not be the picture that is best for us. And often we hang really tightly onto these preconceived notions of the way our life needs to be. And because we hang on so tightly to those ideas, we lose the ability to look at what our life actually is and and the capacity to see how we can work with that reality. Now, that's not to say I don't think we don't desire and dream and manifest and aim big, but I do think that by surrendering some parts of these processes and allowing things to happen a little bit more harmoniously with us is a key to a very different life. I think many of us are anxious because we're hanging on to pictures that may not be our truth. 
And once we start to surrender, it may return to be your truth, but I think often the surrender part is a part of the process to learn that. And if we don't let go a little, either we'll never know and we'll feel anxious and kind of stay in things that feel a bit unsure for the rest of our lives. You can meet someone and marry them. doesn't mean that they feel like that full kind of breath of what you may feel in your heart that you deserve and want. And also um, we, we just live a little more uptight every day with not surrendering. Yeah, I love that. I feel like especially in the context of 30 as well, it, it's really scary and risky. It feels risky to let go of things and to, well, yeah, to, I guess to take a risk and to make a, a change, however big or small it will be. For, for me, that has felt kind of amplified. Even when I was like 29 and thinking about my relationship, I was like, it's too, it's too risky of an age to end a relationship. But then at the same time, I was like, now I'm rolling into 30 with a clean slate with, you know, blank canvas. It's, it's just really interesting to think of how our minds operate around this particular stage. And I promise you this, that friendship you're not letting go, that relationship you're not letting go, that job you're hanging too tight to, that particular fitness element that keeps giving you injuries, you don't let them go, they'll come for you anyway. They're going. It'll either happen to you or you can allow it to happen as a part of the process by listening to your body and choosing you know so those things are coming for you I promise you if they're not good for you and they're not honest for you they're happening anyway so if they happen in your life at 38 and blow your life up like it happened to my partner he didn't listen to lots of things along the way and had a real horrific lesson learned and I'm not going to put that on this and scare everybody but my point is to learn the beauty of surrender is so graceful in a way, even though it feels messy because life will bring it into your, um, your orbit regardless of whether you choose to surrender or not. It's coming for you if it's your truth. Stacey, I have adored this chat. Thank you so much. Thank you for all the wisdom in the book too. It really did help me um, and yeah, for joining me to share more of it on this podcast. Thank you so much, Bridget, for having me. You can find Stacey June on Instagram at Stacey June and a link to buy her book Single Pringle is in the show notes of this episode. You can also find my friend Dee Salmon on Instagram at d.salmon and you can hear Dee hosting The Hookup on Triple J every Sunday from 9pm and also The Hookup podcast. Coming up next on Figuring Out 30, I'm going to introduce you to another friend of mine. In fact, I'm going to take you back home to Ballarat, where I have a candid conversation with one of my closest mates, Ash. I didn't speak to my mum about it. I didn't speak to anybody about it because I was so embarrassed and ashamed. And I hadn't even been married 12 months and I could see that the end was fast approaching. Divorced at 29, turning 30 in lockdown and freezing her eggs at 31. It's been a big three years for Ashy, but I think you're going to be so inspired by her resilience. And also, hopefully, you'll feel a sense of comfort knowing that whilst you can really never predetermine your life, you can make it through whatever it throws your way. Thank 
Figuring Out 30 is an independent podcast produced and presented by me, Bridget Hustwaite. You can find me on Instagram at Bridget Hustwaite, and you can also drop me a line about the podcast anytime at figuringout30 at gmail.com. Don't forget you can hit subscribe if you want to stay across the latest episodes. And hey, if you like what you're hearing, I would love it if you could leave me a little review or rating. Thank you so much for your support. I'll catch you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.